Welcome to the Mortgage Broker Roundtable with Vanessa Hammond. My guests this week are Julia Wheeler, Private Wealth Management Consultant, Aaron McIntyre, Real Estate Agent, Brenda Sharp, Bookkeeper, Teresa Fuller, Travel and Small Business Advisor, and of course me, your host, Vanessa Hammond, the Mortgage Broker. So let's get to it. After coming off of a pandemic and then seeing an increase like that, it was really frustrating for myself as a mortgage broker because I'm trying to guide my clients as to what the best solution is at the time. So I take education very seriously and I go to a lot of forums and I sit in front of analysts because I want to know the most that I can to be able to facilitate that with my clients. So I'm listening to them say, okay, yeah, like we're going to see a bit of an increase, but this is where we're at. And then all of a sudden it's gone up 4%. Mm -hmm. Well, when you're qualifying clients at 5.25%, because that was actually the qualifying rate then, some clients didn't actually qualify at the fixed rate. So you're kind of not forced to put them into a variable, but if this is what you really want, this is your borrowing capacity and I can really only get it approved on the variable side. Which is a huge risk. Which, which is a huge risk, right? So, yeah. and then even during the course of the last year, it was like, oh my God, like my payments are going up, my payments are going up. And then again, you're listening to the analysts, you're listening to the market. And it's like, well, now what do I do? And I'm like, well, we're past the point of locking in. Mm-hmm. Now, if we lock in, you're locking in at upwards of the high fives. Yep. And that doesn't make sense either. So kind of got to ride it out for the next little while. However, there's been quite a bit of a shift lately. Like we're yes. seeing a lot of sales, we're seeing a lot of purchases. But I think a big portion of that is the variable has really scared people. And truthfully, like the variable has always outperformed the fix. I truly believe that this is going to be a season. It's not a forever. If you are in a variable, keep sticking to the plan. It's gonna come back down. What goes up comes back down. I'm not an analyst. I don't have a crystal ball, but history repeats itself. It's funny how you just said that they'll stick to the plan because yeah. we just went through the same experience with everybody in their investments the last year. Right. And I've always said to people, we're not chasing returns. We're talking about something that lasts you. So we're looking at 15 yeah, year yeah. plans because we want your investments to last. So we say the same thing, stick to the plan. That's what it's all about is kind of guiding people and holding their hand through those times because you make decisions based on emotion and you miss all that market recovery, you know, all those, those good opportunities. Well, I remember hearing one saying that people would say when I used to work in a private wealth company Mm -hmm. is that you're only losing money if you're pulling it out. Yep. Right. Like unless you absolutely have to pull that money out leave it as is mm-hmm. and kind of the same thing on the mortgage side we're like date the rate marry the mortgage it is what it is yeah. right now but you're gonna have this mortgage for 20 25 30. Mm-hmm. there's some lenders that have extended now to 35 years this is what we can do right now and when things start to return and recover then you know we'll reevaluate and make changes when they're necessary it's a good analogy there too because we've said the same thing to people where your, your house is your biggest asset So usually your real estate is your biggest asset. And we say, when the interest rates go up, does that mean you're just going to dump your house and sell it? You know, so on the flip side with all of your investments, just because we're seeing that fall and we're going through that valley right now, does that mean you dump everything? No, you got to stick to your plan. Then there are people who do have that freak out moment. Yes, absolutely. And who are now unloading because it was investment properties. Yeah. Yeah. 
that's where we're seeing those people are getting panicky because they can't up the rates for renters yeah. or anybody. Like, it's, it's tough. Well, the good news is right now, and we haven't actually seen this since 1991, is the last time that we actually saw the variable rates higher mm -hmm. than the fixed rates. And what a lot of people don't understand, and if they're not explained this properly, is that the variable is tied to one entity, the fixed rates are tied to a completely separate entity, they don't actually speak to each other, right? Yeah. So when people are like, oh my God, the variable, so like the fixed rate must be going up. Well, the fixed rates actually come down almost a full percent <laughs> since the fall, right? So now those same people that I would have approved in a variable last year, we're starting to flip into the fixed side because that's where we can get them approved. The variable at what it is, 6.7 plus 2% for a qualifying rate, 8.7%, who's gonna qualify for that? Especially when you're used to two, three, in some cases last year, under two, you know, those days hopefully aren't gone forever because I'd really like to see them return. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> sure. But we yeah, are seeing yeah. the trend of the fixed rates come back down. So if I have a client who is looking for their max borrowing capacity, well, let's look at the fixed side. So I am doing a lot of shorter terms right mm -hmm. now. I'm doing a lot of extension of amortization mm -hmm. on refis, on renewals, because this is not five years from now. This is not 10 years from yeah. now. So let's get some relief in the payments again. Mm -hmm. We're gonna look at a two-year fixed, a three-year fixed. And then when your mortgage comes up in three years, you have the opportunity to renegotiate your mortgage again. Just because again, long-term planning, it's just something that I'm not just looking at the here and now. I, I wanna I wanna help them. I don't wanna just help them on the debt side. I wanna make sure that I'm putting them in front of people like Julia so that they are building that other side of their portfolio. And the only way that you can do that is if you're working with cohesive teams and people mm -hmm. that you trust. Mm -hmm. And I think you made a good point as well, is to have people in your team, people who you work with, and you have to be honest with those people, your financial advisor, your mortgage broker, your bookkeeper, yeah. your agent, anything, those people who you have rowing your boat with you, you have to be so honest to them. Mm -hmm. because that's what's going that's, to move you forward yeah. in a successful path. And it is true, like honesty is the best policy because if you're not honest with us and then we, you know, we position a file a certain way thinking, okay, you know, everything kind of checks out here. And then all of a sudden there's some kind of misinformation there and it's like, well, now the file's not approved and it just becomes a spiral, right? Well, I think too with your financial planning as well. If you're not totally honest with it, you're investing money that you actually should have allocated elsewhere. Yeah. yeah. If you're not honest, right? Yeah. yeah. Something that a lot of people don't know unless they're working with a financial planner and a mortgage broker is that home ownership is actually a little bit closer in reach than most people think. Mm -hmm especially with RSP season coming up right now, like there are strategies where maybe they don't have the full amount of the down payment, but they've got the capacity to pay for the mortgage and also an RSP loan. So as long as that RSP loan has been in place for 90 days, they can use that. They can use the funds for the down payment, right? And because tax season's coming up, <laughs> we know that you get a refund yeah. on you know those funds that you borrow against the RSPs. And so that's gonna give you a little bit more money. But what a lot of people don't talk about is that there's a lot of lenders 
and actually some of the bigger banks as well that will do cashback options. It's not gonna cover the whole amount, but you can certainly get to 5% as a new home buyer if you're using those RSPs, getting the tax yeah. refund, and then using your first time home buyer program where you're exempt from a good portion of the land transfer tax. You get your home buyer's credit back the following year once you purchase a home. Yeah. But there are programs out there where you can get up to 3% cash back when you purchase. Why this isn't being shared more often, I'm not sure. But if you have clients that are coming up to RSP season and their main goal is to get into a home, this is a good strategy to look at. As long as the affordability is for the home as well as the, the RSP loan. But usually when we're talking to clients, it's, it's not so much the affordability of being able to make those payments. It's I don't have the down payment because I'm making payments towards everything else that it's just been harder for me to come up with the 5%, the 10%, etc. So just something to maybe think about when you're heading so into that So what is RSP. the down payment now? Like what percentage? So whenever it's your homeowner occupied residence, so you're going to be living in the property, you can put down a minimum of 5%. It doesn't matter if it's your first home, your second home, or your 15th home. As long as you are residing in that home yeah. as the occupant, you can put down as little as 5%. Becomes a little bit different when there's a secondary home, rentals, yeah, yeah, investment property. or yeah. vacation properties, mm -hmm. then the down payment is going to be much more, but yeah. that was a way for the government of Canada to go, okay, we need to get more people into homes, so we're going to allow, you know, 5% down. The, the caveat there is that when you're putting 5% down, there's going to be an insurer premium on yeah. top of that, yeah. right? So it gets added to the mortgage. It's extended out over the amortization or the life of the mortgage. So it's not a, a cost that you need to come up with upfront. It's mm -hmm. just, again, the affordability of being able to tack that premium on and be able to service it or afford it yeah. over the, the time frame of the mortgage. So the only time that even if you are homeowner occupied, um, if it is a self-employed stated mortgage, it becomes a little bit higher. So then the minimum becomes 10% instead of 5%. So if you're salaried, you've worked for the same company for three plus years, we can use that income because we can verify it. Okay, so my son yeah. is 24. Yep. Self-employed. Yep. My fave. <laughs> he would need 10% yep. to get his first home. Yep. Using a stated income, meaning we're looking at it saying, okay, based on his tenure of his business, based on his financials, it makes sense that he's making this amount of money. Yeah. That's where it would be called a stated income program where the 10% would come in. If he's been in business for two plus years and he has verifiable income, even though it's self-employed, he is still actually able to put down 5%. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. So that's good to know. Yeah. Because he's shopping for his Oh, well, <laughs> I uh, I know a couple people that are interested. <laughs> So, so with that being said, is now the time to buy? I know. I know. What do you think, Aaron? I think, I think right now, I mean, th there's so much misunderstanding out there. And I think that the media has definitely blown things a little out of proportion to make people scared. And we are seeing 
you know, rising rates and, and that type of thing. But from what I'm hearing and from talking to people and, and what's going on out there, I think that the, the rates are going to start to level off. Let's hope they freeze. And then from there, right now, we are seeing that houses are selling. People are buying right now. Mm -hmm. And we are having multiple offers happening right now. Yeah. So, and I think it's just the people that were holding off at the end of the year last year who were scared from what the media was saying. And I think right now, we're sort of seeing that, well, we need a house, so I'm gonna buy something. So they're starting to talk to their mortgage people again. But I also think that the scare is wearing off. We're seeing prices come down a little bit because we're not doing the crazy 300 over asking and, and that type of thing. It's not happening right now, which is which is nice and friendly. Yes. But that price range is out there. So people are getting rid of some of their investment properties just because they cannot afford it with these interest rates rising. And they're probably leaving before they ship. They're not, is it, what's the term? They're not they're dating, staying, right? Yeah. <laughs> staying on plan. Staying on plan, right? Because it is scary. Yeah. So the, that price range right now that's out there, like that 600, 650, it's really good for people. And that's out there right now. And do you find it's more first-time home buyers who are being guided to buy now? Because, you know, I did hear financial analysts say, if you have kids, young kids now, they're with you forever. Because they're never. Pretty much. We're seeing a lot of families now combining families, um, you know, and they're looking for in-law suites. They're, we're going to live with mom and pa. Yeah. <laughs> Again, yeah. not that yeah. we want to, but it's definitely what's happening. And, you know, and, and everybody's sort of saying, okay, well, you're going to live on this level and we're going to live on this level. And, and we're seeing that a lot more. Also, a lot of people are going to rental where right now rental is not affordable. And why are you paying somebody else's mortgage? Well, I have to tell you, we were hit hard in the travel business. And when I lost my job, my first thought was, I cannot afford to lose this house mm -hmm. because I can't afford to rent. Mm -hmm. Right. You know, yeah. because if, I feel like once you get out of that housing market, yeah. it's, it's, gonna be hard to get it's impossible yeah. to get back in. Right. You know, so we just, Absolutely. there's always ways to make money. So yeah. is that where I ended up with three or four jobs? Of course. Yeah. Because yeah, you're there a hard were, working lady. <laughs> losing my house was not an option, <laughs> right? right? So right. people are paying like twenty six hundred dollars a month. Like you look at that, that's so yeah. much money. And, that, yeah. and I mean, and if you can put that towards a mortgage and own it yourself, absolutely. And I think the fear not? too is when you're renting, your owner could sell any time, and now you're displaced again right. and absolutely. again, right? And it's, and it's, and it's happening a lot, lot now because yeah. now those people who bought those income properties, they can't afford them, yeah. and they can't increase the rent. Yeah that much more to make sense. Going back to your point about, you know, if you don't get into the market now, you're never going to get in. I also think that that's the projection of fear because no. just because you think it's the right time doesn't mean that it's the right time for that person. And so I don't like when I hear that mm -hmm. because you should never be forced into your biggest purchase. It is your biggest asset. Right. But it is also your biggest liability. And so if you're not ready and you're just forcing yourself into the market, it's not going to end well. To piggyback off of that though, I yeah. think that a lot of people have not been educated enough. And so sometimes oh. it's actually just scary Yeah, because they don't know and the unknown is scary, but there's, they're scared to take the first leap. And it's either, do I call a realtor? but I don't know what to say and I don't know my money. But then it's it's for us as realtors oh, to say, broker. call the mortgage company, <laughs> call your bank, do what yeah. you need to do. Yeah. But I think that that part is the scariest part for them because it's like, well, now it's all gonna be out there. 
and now I'm actually dealing with it. But then once they realize it's not as scary, they're actually like, wow, I could have done this alone. We always worked in conjunction yeah. doing that, like as a financial planner and working with the mortgage broker and specialist, because you need to be able to look at the whole picture. So it's not just about like when you talk about it being a liability, it's sitting down and looking at the financial plan and saying, what does this look like long term as a liability? How do I protect that liability? Because insurance is a whole nother piece. Mm -hmm. So it's not just about can I like afford the home? That's where we come in because we try and do that full planning where we say, okay, between the mortgage, between the investments, between the insurance, how does the right hand know what the left hand's doing? <laughs> right. Because if we're ever sick and off of work, if somebody passes away unexpectedly, like mm -hmm. we like to plan for the unexpected to make sure that we are protecting those liabilities mm -hmm. as well. Mm -hmm. And that we can still be building the portfolio like we've been talking because we do want to plan for the future as, as long as we know yeah, the mortgage does take 25 years to pay off, but at the same time, how are we building for that next step? Because financial planning is like a path that's never ending. It just changes, yeah. changes, right? Because you go from home ownership to planning for retirement to then it becomes an estate plan. Mm -hmm. Like we kind of try and make sure that we're walking our clients through all of that. Absolutely. And so, you know, I always make sure that there is coverage. Yep. And if they don't have coverage already, it's more of an interim. It's to make sure that they actually have something while we're in the process of connecting with a financial planner or, yeah. you know, an insurance advisor. Because the last thing I want to happen is I put a first time home buyer into a mortgage, don't put any insurance on it, and then something happens. Mm. But I'm always advising them because I kind of know what I know now, this this is just for the interim. You yeah, need so, to be looking at a personal policy. Yeah, so when, when I meet with a client, we usually have a conversation because insurance really should be more than just your mortgage. One thing to understand is there's two different types of insurance, so mortgage insurance and insurance through a company. So when you get insurance that we represent, so as a broker within my firm, I represent five different insurance companies. So usually we source out which insurance best matches the person because some will treat smokers different, some will treat aging clients different. Like there's a reason we look at different companies. But when you purchase insurance, the one thing about going through and purchasing a policy the way we do it is that you go through an underwriting process. So you go through underwriting, you receive the policy and it's typically a level premium. You pay that premium for the life. So if you picked a 20, you know, 20 year policy, there's lots of different ways you can do it. You own that policy. No matter what happens to you with your health, you own that policy and the premium doesn't change. The difference is when you're buying mortgage insurance, mortgage insurance changes through the life of your mortgage. So your age keeps changing, how much you owe keeps changing and underwriting happens at time of death. So you actually don't own the policy until you pass. So depending what's happening, that is always changing. And then that's why like, we get concerned because we hear stories like our job is get somebody some insurance, know that if they pass that we're going to be there and we can hand deliver, you know, a check, whatever you need to do with your client. I mean, you don't hand deliver them anymore, but you know what I mean? Like we're out and we're meeting with our clients. We're making sure they're protected. And that's important because when somebody passes unexpectedly, which it does happen, 
then you want to make sure that the transition is smooth. We don't want to see a mom and her kids out on the street because they're fighting to make sure that their insurance is going to be covered. And we hear horror stories of people waiting a year for their insurance to kind of go through the process. Well, how do you pay your mortgage during that time when maybe you were the stay-at-home mom and your husband was the income earner or vice versa? Because now we see a lot of women like sitting here, female entrepreneurs that are maybe doing that, right? So that's important. We've done that where we've been like, okay, husband's a pilot and he's traveling and he's all over the world and they're kind of signing documents and things are happening and they're buying a house, but we don't have time to kind of do a full insurance meeting where you were saying that we will actually put mortgage insurance in place because it can be taken away at any time too. Mm -hmm. We'll say, let's put something in place. Let's at least make sure you're protected. And when you're home from your business trip or traveling abroad, then we'll make sure we do a full insurance review and then we'll replace it with something permanent. Yeah. But the other thing that's important about insurance too, when you're doing a financial plan with somebody is it shouldn't just cover your mortgage. So, and it depends who passes away. So for me and my husband, as an example, we have two different levels of insurance. So when I first started in the business and I wasn't, you know, making as much money and even prior, cause we bought our insurance before I was even an entrepreneur, but we needed more money, even though I was the lower income earner, if I passed away, than we did for my husband who made more because it was like, well, then who's going to look after the children? Yeah. He's a, he's a police officer. He's a shift worker. So we would need a nanny. We would need these things. Did I want to know that the education was covered? So we kind of earmarked and this is what we do with our clients is we do an analysis and say, okay, if you wanted to know that your mortgage was covered, maybe you had 50,000 for education. Maybe you had 20,000 put towards a wedding. What are things that would be important to you if you were still alive that you would want to help your kids fund? Then we look at, okay, that's the way insurance should be structured. So you have to kind of look at that. Term insurance, like people will say, you know, and they say, yeah, it's like a rental. You know, it is like you maybe only buy 20 years because it's affordable, but at the same time, like our families, our most precious asset, you know, we insure our cars, we insure homes, we insure all kinds of things, but it's really about ensuring and making sure that our families' lives can stay as close to normal as possible, that we can keep people comfortable in their homes if something happens, because in a traumatic time, we want that to be important for those families. And you know, it just made me think when you were talking about all of these relationships built on trust and how you kind of build these well-built solutions, I think as female entrepreneurs in all of our industries, this is something I've been told we do really well is we listen. Mm -hmm. So we listen and we take the time because we love to hear people's whole stories. So when I sit down with clients, it's like, I feel like I already know their families. I feel like I know the extended family. And that's why it's great when you start to work with generations of family, because you're building all of these solutions, whether it's finding the perfect home, downsizing a home, like, as we move through the stages of life, I feel like I know these people and it's more than just You're becoming part of that family. Absolutely. Like I always tell them like, keep the space for me for dinner because yeah. I'm coming. Like that's what happens. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think that's, that's super important in being successful for your clients. Like the success is built on what we do for them, not necessarily just building our business, but what we accomplish with our clients. And that requires, you know, somebody who just takes the time and sits and listens. It's no secret, like we're, we're paid for the work that we do, right? One thing that a lot of clients, when they come to me, 
they don't realize that they're not actually paying any extra monetary value towards using my service. So you can have expert advice if you'd like, and it's free. But a lot of people don't know that, right? So like, I'm not getting paid any more money to work with certain clients or demographic of people. I'm actually paid by the lender. So I think that's part of our rules though, too, to be like, here's what I'm here for. This is what I can do for you. Like setting those expectations up front. Setting boundaries, I guess. Again, yeah. being honest. Like yeah. being honest, yeah. which, you know, not everyone does, but setting those expectations up front makes for a lot easier of a process. I think some of the struggles too with financial planning is a lot of people have had to start over again yeah. in their life or they've lost a spouse early or they've divorced early and then they're trying to rebuild and certainly to have somebody in your corner that can mm-hmm. guide you and make you realize you're not in financial distress that it's okay yeah you know or there's always creative ways that i just i don't think the average person knows i had no idea that there's all these options to make things happen yeah so so i I truly believe that you know having the right people in your corner is a huge asset yeah Yeah, and i agree with that and i think one thing that kind of sets me a little bit apart being a specialist in a private wealth company for so long is that I do still look long-term for clients that come to me. So I've had a couple of instances. I I just had one with Erin actually not too long ago. And, you know, she referred me a client and I said, I I can't. Absolutely. I could spin this, put a nice big red bow on it and sell it to them. But I'm not going to because it doesn't make sense. And if it doesn't make sense, where's my credibility? Right. Yeah. And so, you know, I'm, I may have taken income away from myself and, yeah. <laughs> and all of those things, <laughs> but I, I, I truly feel like if you're doing the right thing for the client and you're planning for the long term, that that's going to pay back mm-hmm. tenfold. And I think that's true for any honest business person, because your referrals will come. And your repeat clients come from you being honest. If you put somebody in a position where they can't afford it, you know, yeah, it sounds great in the moment that they get this mortgage. Yeah. But if it's not for the long term and and they're going to end up homeless later anyways. Well, and I kind of feel like, I'm just going to throw that out there, that entrepreneurial women, they just care right like you can't i can't go to bed at night knowing that a client is even this much upset you know like it just it eats you up it does and it's just because we we have so much empathy and and i'm sure maybe if that client that i was just talking about went to someone else they could have been sold yeah but it wasn't the right fit and it wouldn't have made me be able to sleep at night right What's your position again at the BRCC? So at the Business Resource Center, I'm their part-time business advisor. So the business advisor helps uh, small businesses grow their business, expand their business, or start their business. So I'll do business registrations. I do consultations. I help businesses expand. And then I also work for Digital Main Street. So I help the brick and mortar businesses with a transformation grant. So $2,500 for um, small businesses to pivot digitally all the while the travel business has exploded so i'm back full-time well and i know like from ladies who lead you've helped quite a few of the women in that group right so we i have helped 300 
businesses in Brantford with the grant, the digital transformation grant. Wow. wow. That's yeah. That so. needs to be out there. Yeah. Like, because yeah. I didn't know. I didn't even know about it. Yeah. No. I didn't know until Ladies Who Lead. We walk into businesses and just present them. A lot of businesses think you're telemarketing or, you know, they're a little bit afraid of a grant because historically some of the grants had to be paid back, but this one does not. It's non-taxable and does not need to be paid back. So it's, it's a bonus. And then what it does is it then hires somebody in our community. We keep our referrals local. So when my business gets the grant, I then refer them to a media web designer, social media content creator, so that we give that business back to our community. Is, are there parameters for who can apply Yeah, for? so they can't be a franchise. Uh, you have to employ less than 50 people. You have to pay commercial tax. Mm -hmm. You have to be licensed in Ontario. Um, not a digital marketing company and not a wholesaler. So that's the big thing, thing. commercial tax commercial is tax. probably that. Mm -hmm. Yes, mm -hmm. yeah. So either you pay commercial tax through your rent or you own the building. We have businesses who are just starting and businesses who've been around a long time. But what we found in the pandemic is our a lot of our businesses didn't need to have a digital presence. They've been a business for a long time. People just knew where they were. But then yeah. when it was time to pivot, they didn't have a website. They didn't have online ordering. They didn't have a capacity to showcase their business in social media because yeah. they never needed to. And then when their doors were closed, but they still wanted something to generate revenue, this allows them to get out there. Yeah. So we've taken some businesses who were ready to close their doors and turn them around just by social media presence. Again, I think it just goes back to trust. So when they can look up a website and see a face and feel comfort or trust, yeah. then yeah, it does make a big difference. And I even, know it does for me. Absolutely. And yeah. even what I found, you know, when I had to pivot in the travel business from being in an office, so I'm rebuilding my business, but I find now a lot of people still want to see who you are, mm -hmm. right? So it's just doing stuff non-traditional. I meet a lot of clients on Zoom. They are referral, yeah. they want to talk to you face-to-face. -face. So we talk face-to-face -face over Zoom. Zoom is great, you can wear comfy pants. Right? Like <laughs> <laughs> you guys can't see what I'm wearing right yeah, now. But. Exactly, and that's it. It's, just a, it's, it's really just a matter of coming into the times. When you were talking about Brantford and how it's actually one of the, the best places cities. right now to invest. So what I do notice in as a business advisor for the city of Brantford really is this is such an amazing city to be in a business in Brantford because we're still considered a small city as the way of property and buying. And, you know, because we're close to highways, it's Brantford is actually situated quite nicely to be a business. And it's one of the fastest growing communities mm -hmm. out there, but it also has brought a lot of new development, new growth. So if you're a small business, you're capturing people who are using services for other cities, but now want to support local, okay. especially after coming out of a pandemic, supporting local. Well, and as new business too, it's like, how do I differentiate myself from somebody who's been in the business for so long, right? Like. I know for myself, it that was a big piece of it for me. When I was talking to a number of different entrepreneurs or professionals that, you know, I looked up to for years through networking groups or people that I've worked with for a long time, it was like, 
okay, but what do I have to offer if I'm now going to call myself a mortgage broker out in this industry? What makes me different than the mortgage broker who's been in the business for 30 years, mm -hmm. right? So I think to your point, because it's always changing, because there's always new people, faces, bodies coming into Brantford, you don't necessarily have to position yourself differently. It's just that you have a different audience that you can capture. Absolutely. Right. And I think that that kind of goes back to where you guys have been going into brick and mortar, you know, establishments and saying you don't have an online presence. Right. So that was one thing for me going into the broker space. It was like, OK, I need to set myself apart. I need automation. I need to put myself out there which I'm still working on. <laughs> but those are things that with a growing community, you can do and not have to be the oldest business in the industry. Yeah, and you know, I think Brantford gets a lot of flack because there are things that are happening that we're used to as a small town. And we're seeing things that every a lot of bigger communities have all been going through for a long time. But Brantford is amazing. If you look on any major street where there's businesses very few empty retail spaces very sure. few you know we have people investing their bit they're moving their businesses to Brantford because of location because of cost because of our taxes are lower you know because we're growing they want to capture these new clients yeah right you know I, there's certain areas that maybe could use some improvement but this is quite there's a good always areas it, it, yeah, yeah absolutely but I think you're right like Brantford is is a city. It's a bigger city, but it has that small town feel. And and me, that's me coming into the city. I didn't grow up here, so right. coming in, it was sort of I'm I'm from the city. I'm from Toronto, and I still was able to feel like okay, it's still city, but all of a sudden I found that it was really small town. You got to network with a lot more people. People were helping, supporting, and you know, like that was really big to me. And that's mm -hmm. probably why I've stayed. So. Those are little things that actually make a huge difference. There's and a strong sense of community. Huge. Mm -hmm. Well, even tonight, like not everybody at this <laughs> table necessarily knew each other, but it was like, well, we've never actually had a conversation before, but I know who you are. Mm -hmm. You know, like I've seen you through Absolutely. social media. I've seen you out there promoting your business. I've heard other people referring you business yeah. that I trust. So... Well, and it's a great thing to be able to collaborate. You know, a lot of times women compete against each other, but when you're in business, you know, yeah. some of your best avenues are the people who are doing the same thing, actually, yeah. <laughs> or who can complement yeah. your business. And again, like I'll put a plug in there for ladies who lead. Like that is one group that there's so much support there. And I, I think that things are changing. I don't know. Like, I, I think that especially in real estate and mortgages, like it used to just be men, you know? Absolutely. And now <laughs> our top performers, I mean, there's some men in there, but those, those women, women, they're really rocking it. Like, <laughs> we have good listening skills. Again, <laughs> we, got, we got good listening skills. But yeah. yeah, with Ladies Who Lead, I mean, I, I've been very fortunate with, you know, making certain connections it reconnected Absolutely, us again. for sure. Right? It brought us back to that common ground. You're right? in there. Mm -hmm. If you're not in there, you come join. <laughs> <laughs>
a big shift in the interest rates. But overall, I think that there's still a lot of opportunity for me to help clients the same way that I always have. In terms of this is how many deals I want to do, or this is, it's not about that for me. I actually have a business coach that I, that I meet with every week and she tells me how much she struggles with me because that's not what motivates me. What motivates me is working with people that I trust and being referred clients. It makes me so happy. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I get excited when I get a new referral and I get to work with someone. And yes, I would say that in this industry, I have been successful, but that's, that's not what drives me. It's the client relationships. It's doing what I actually like doing. Yes, I know that sounds crazy. I do enjoy doing mortgages. Not everybody, not everyone's tea, but it's mine. And uh, I'll continue, you know, pressing on the way that I have been and, and helping those clients. So if you'd like to reach me, you can find me on my website at vmhmortgages.ca. From there, you can either book a call, you can text me, and then I guess look out for me on Instagram, Facebook, and all that other good stuff that they're making me do. <laughs> as always everyone's contact information is in the description below see you around